Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Super Talk Mississippi. We're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app. And of course, you can always find us too on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And you can watch good things. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. Meet our guest today. Joining us is Bill Sugg. He is Bill Sugg III, to be exact. He is of West Point. He's an author. He's an illustrator of a children's book we've got today to talk about. Uh, Gibble the Goblin has a problem. Absolutely love the title. But he writes under the pseudonyme Caddy Wampus. So, Bill, do you want to go by Bill or do you want to go by Caddy Wampus? Which one fits the bill today? Uh, bill, for our purposes, Bill is fine. Uh, I haven't quite fit into the name yet. I figured I'd grow into it eventually. <laughs> you grow into it eventually. I want to start there, though, because that's a lot of fun when you pick up the book and you look by and it says Caddy Wampus. It gets a little giggle out of you um, automatically. So what led you to write under that fun pseudoname? Well, um, you know, a lot of people ask me that, and I wish I had a better answer than I just sort of came up with it. You know, I, I knew I wanted to write under a pseudonym, and I wanted it to be a pun. I wanted it to be like a play on words and whimsical, uh, but also Southern, right? And I compiled the list of about 300 names, uh, you know, and then when I hit on Caddy Wampus, it, it was there. It was right there in front of me this whole time, but... uh there it was. You know, it reminds me of what um, I had a professor at Southern, an art professor, who uh, he talked about creativity. And he said, you'd really have to, like, get going. And he would say, get your RPMs up. In other words, like, do 100 drawings before you get that really good one because you get your RPMs up. Oh, I love that. Well, I like that you use the word whimsical, Bill, because looking through some of your other art, which you do pet portraits and drawing, and you did the illustrations for your children's book, which I think is extraordinary, that you also, you wrote it and illustrated it, correct? That's right. They're whimsical. Your characters are fun and they're bright and they're lively and they draw you in. And so to use the analogy of whimsical in the cattywampus, I see it really fits your sort of style. So you have your first children's book, The Gibble the Goblin Has a Problem, and I love it. So where did you get the inspiration for Gibble the Goblin? Well, uh... Here, too, I wish I had a better answer other than it just came to me. 
you know, one day I, I knew it wanted, I knew I wanted my first book to be about please, you know, we can get into that uh, later, but um, it just popped in my head is give the goblin has a problem. Like you said, it rolls off the tongue. And so, you know, that's, that's where it came from. And what I know we don't want to give away the whole book, but you did bring up the fact that the word please plays a big part in the story. So tell us the story behind the word please as being inspiration for the words of the story or the actual story. Yeah, well, um, I know that the, the, the topic of etiquette and saying please and being polite seems a bit vapid and overdone in children's literature. Uh, but not really when you look at um, what it really means to be polite. It's really about respect and common human decency. And, and that all sort of starts with please and thank you. It's something most of us Southerners knew from the moment we could start talking, you know, with our yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, all that stuff. Um, it just it sounds better, and you feel respected when you hear it, and um, it's good for kids to get that in in the books they read. Well, and that also helps them bring it into their own life in their own sort of, uh, you know, vocabulary. Yes, our household is big on that because that's the way I was uh, particularly raised, even to the point now. There's many folks that go, oh, please don't call me ma'am or sir. And I'm like, you know, it's kind of ingrained. If I don't, I feel like my mom's going to come yeah. out of, you know, one of the sides and give me a little a little pop there. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a traumatic experience yeah. from childhood. I'm not sure, but it worked. Um, but it does. It does. During, uh, no. during this particular season, Bill, I think uh, being putting emphasis on just being kind and polite, we can all sort of take uh, take a little bit of advice from that because it can go a long way. You know, if you're standing in the line just to say, please, if someone went out of their way to, you know, help or or even if they just did their job, but they did it with a smile, you returning that with a thank you could be everything that individual sort of needed to sort of keep going in that way. Were your other characters in the book inspired by real life people or how did they kind of come about? Because you got some you got some fun ones. Right. Well, well, thank you. Yeah. Um. Not, not really anyone real. Um, I will say that the wizard, um, and some people have picked up on this, uh, sort of uh, dripped in from my childhood. You may or may not remember a movie called The Sword and the Stone. It's a Disney movie. Yeah. And in it, Merlin is, is uh, teaching young Ward, who will become King Arthur. And at some point in the movie, he just gets frustrated and leaves and when he comes back in the movie he's in full vacation hawaiian shirt and things like that and that image i guess sort of seeped into what this wizard uh is because some people have said that that reminds them of that one scene from that one movie a long time ago well he definitely Um, sticks out he uh, looks like a wizard i'd like to hang out with yes yeah same here yeah maybe maybe not in Hogwarts, exactly, but somewhere. But somewhere. Yeah. So, Gibble, 
when you when you were drawing out your um i guess your characters and i always love this of of illustrators because it's like any other kind of artist you have to have inspiration and see it in your head first whether it's a song or you know even just the story in the book but also with illustrations so when you were thinking about gibble the goblin what did you know to be true and then what were you like that's you know what did you know not to be gibble Really? Only? And that's a good question, actually. Um, a big nose is about the only thing I knew he, he probably needed, maybe in big ears. Um, that's that's about where I started. And I, I really try not to um, think too much about where what it will look like because um, my professor, same guy, uh, Mr. Mead, he, he would say that preconception is the death of art. And I know this is illustration and not exactly fine art, but you still you don't want to hem it in too tight at the edges. You really want to let it breathe and, and find out where it wants to go. So I, I just had a very general idea and went from there. And same with the name. I did a lot of drawings before I settled on a design I liked and then had to perfect that drawing. So, you know, there's there's a lot behind each page. How do you know, Bill, whenever, like, one of your illustrations, I know you do a lot of uh, pet portraits. That's a little easier because you're doing it off of a pet. So it's got to look, hopefully, like the pet in which you've been commissioned to, to do the portrait. But when it's a character like Gibble or your wizard, when do you finally sit back and put the pen down and go, that's it? Uh, you know, it's another good question. You just sort of know. I guess is, is the, the only way I can put it there. And, and even then, you know, um, there's, you come back and look at it. What I tend to do with this or any other art is when I think I'm finished, I put everything down and walk away maybe for the night, maybe for a few hours and just kind of try and forget about it and then come back to it a while later and look at it new. You know, and when I leave it, I'm satisfied with it. And then when I come back, I might be a completely different mindset and say, nope, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, got wrapped into it. You have to sort of step back and look at things from a fresh perspective. Is it hard to draw the same character doing different things to look the same? Because... Does that make sense? Because, or maybe if you've, I don't know if no, you've got no, like the no. digital to be able to do it, but I would say I, I can't draw, but if I could, I was like, I could get him, I could get Gibble for the front cover, and then I don't know if I could replicate Gibble mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. Yeah. Well, um. That's no, why I don't I, have the absolutely. job. <laughs> the, the answer is, right. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's um, that's absolutely right. Uh, I here again. I once I had what I thought I wanted. I I drew him over and over again, and then I found that there were certain areas where I was able to replicate again and again. For example, if I put the eyes in a certain place, the nose would be in this place every time, and then you know. The, be able to do it over and over. And well, Gibble the Goblin has a problem. Right. And then I drew it in different and faces. You say that it's using I the word please. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you to please hang on. We're going to get more with you coming up next.
Making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget you can watch us. We are on your computer, your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. We're continuing our conversation with author and illustrator Bill Sugg of West Point. He wrote the book Gibble the Goblin Has a Problem. But this is your first children's book of two, correct, Bill? Do you have the second one out yet, or is just this the first one that's out? Uh, that's the only one that's out. My, my second one is currently in the long and arduous process of querying. Yeah, querying. I was going to say that's a big word on a Thursday, Bill. So what does that mean? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's the the industry word. Uh, um, That's what they ask you to do is just basically uh, send in a query letter to an agent uh, or uh, publishing company and say, hey, I've got this book. What you want, you know, would you like it? Would you like uh, it? Is it still Gibble or is it, is it a continuation of Gibble's story or is it another, another, uh, sort of, or totally different? Completely different thing. Yeah, totally different. And now for, and now for something completely different like Monty Python. Ah, pretty cool. Okay. You have a very interesting, I guess, career or professional path. If you don't mind, we get into that. Author and illustrator is not the only piece to your eclectic, I guess, professions. You have just moved back to West Point, I guess the last, what, year or less than a year from living abroad. What took you out of Mississippi and overseas for so long? Well, um, many left turns and a few right ones, I guess. Um, uh, I, during college, I ended up working in Yellowstone National Park, which I recommend everybody should do if they can, you know, just spend a summer out there. It's an amazing country. Um, and I knew going out there that that was where I was supposed to be. You know, I, I just knew. I didn't know what I was going to do, but that's where I was going to be. What I didn't know is, like, that's not where I was going to stop. I, you know, met a girl fell in love and followed her to her hometown, which happened to be in Taiwan. So that's where I've stayed for 15 years and taught English to, to speakers of another language, uh, to little kids. And, uh, you know, that's something that helps write children's books is mm-hmm. the fact that I've read lots of children's books to kids. And um, it was wonderful. I was pretty good at it, but... Um, one particular day, I just knew that this is not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life as much as I liked it and was good at it. So made another change. One of those left, left, right turns. Bill, what was it like growing up in Mississippi? Obviously you visited, I guess, another sort of, um, demographic that would be the kind of same Yellowstone kind of outdoorsy kind of place that didn't go all the way to something completely new and different. I mean, that takes a lot of courage to do that. I mean, love will make you do crazy things, I know. But but what was it like just completely culture shock from from every sense of the imagination? Well, you know, that's the, the funny thing. Everybody says it must have been a huge culture shock. The biggest shock was living in a big city. I mean, there are 12,000 people at the time, maybe 9,000 people in West Point. And I moved to a city of 5 million, you know, and that, that was like within seconds, you know, within a day, you know, the, whatever the, the, 
the uh, the flight plan was. But um, yeah, so that was the biggest shock for me. I was living in a huge city. Any barbecue, fried fish, any sweet tea, anything of that over there? Yes, all of those things. So some people have probably heard of because it's made its way over here. They call it boba tea, mm-hmm. right, which is pretty popular in America, I understand. Well, I first found it over there, and I never heard of it. And I was like, this, this would be really popular in the States if it ever crossed. And obviously it, it did eventually. Uh Sweet teas big over there, sweet drinks, things like that. And let me tell you, Rebecca, fried chicken is huge in Taiwan. And they really? do it, uh, you know, I, they do it better than we do. I hate to say it, but they do. Uh, fried chicken is, is everywhere in little stands, and it's, it's really good. Like, it goes to show you we things. are more alike than we are different. Right, Bill? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I found a lot of similarities between Southerners and Taiwanese. As much as being in the big city, they're pretty laid back, even more so in the southern part of the island. But, uh, you know, politeness also being a big thing there. But so you came back home, Bill. You came back to West Point about six months ago. Has that been a shock, going from a big city of five million, even though you know what home is like, to now be back in your cozy town of West Point? Huge shock, massive. It took me many months to, to readjust. Um, it, you know, uh, it took my, my body longer to adjust than anything else. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was huge. I got I got addicted to the convenience of the big city life um, and public transportation and all these things. Um, I do not miss the heat. It was hot and humid over there. That makes Mississippi seem like a dry heat at best. Really? You know? I know, I know, I know, I know. Everyone's shocked when I say that. But yes, I mean, considering its place on the planet, a little bit closer to the equator, it's much hot, hotter and more humid. You are the only person I have ran across in the last oh, four to six weeks that would say, y'all got it good here. This is better than, than it no, could no, be. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. It's all relative. It's all relative. What's the time yeah. difference there? I know it takes the body like a long time to adjust. You mentioned, um, Bill, what's like what time or day even is it right now in Taiwan? Let's see if it's uh, two two thirty in the afternoon. It'd be about three a.m. the next day. Three thirty a.m. the next day there. So it's TGIF oh, there. Thirteen to fourteen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like early in the morning, TGIF. Yeah. That is so, so interesting. So there no, never know where your life is going to take you. Uh, sort of next build. Do you feel like your family is here in Mississippi for a while? I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, my own immediate family that, that I've been able to uh, develop and make is, is certainly here, but um, all, all the others are here, and that was part of the reason for coming back, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think we're here for immediate future and, you know, might go back to Taiwan one day in the distant future, assuming Taiwan's still Taiwan. But, uh Yeah. Well, we have we are we're glad that you're back. We always welcome home those that, you know, go off and travel, but you know, Mississippians 
somehow find their way uh, coming back home. Your wife, though, so you met her, though, in Yellowstone, and then you moved to Taiwan to be with her family. Is this her first six months in the SIP? Yes, yes. She's been here occasionally, you know, for trips and things. But, uh, yeah, she's, this is, um, she's adjusting her life here and whatnot. Only recently got her license, so she's now having to, you know. Do they drive in Taiwan? If they do, do they drive on the same side of the road? Like, is it a different? Because that would blow my mind if I had to go somewhere and try to do things differently. Yeah. I went to Japan once and it's it's on the other side of the road. And yeah, I couldn't I couldn't flip over (laughs) in my head. Um, But no, they drive on the same side of the road. And she drove most of the time when we needed to go somewhere out of the city. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, public transportation is the way to go, you know, and uh, she's finding it much easier here. You know, drivers are actually a little more polite, believe it or not, here in the States. And you know, roads are bigger. There's less less cars just because there's more space, you know. Well, I have to say our um, keen eye and our lover of all things uh, Asian culture, Rhino, picked up on some of your nods in the book to the home that you just left. So leave that for the readers to sort of look through and find. Speaking of your wow. readers, Bill, where can they get your works? Where can they get Gibble the Goblet? I mean, Goblin, excuse me, has a problem. Um, well, I've got a newer version that's a little bigger and, and nicer, and that's available on bookbabyshop.com. All righty. And then and, if uh, they yeah, want... They're, they're a self-publisher. We didn't even get into your pet portraits, but you do those. I assume are those are those on commission. And where can folks go and look and see it at all of your great work? I think go to the the website www.catewampus.com, uh, all one word. Yeah, and uh, find it there and have an email, um, and you can send, we can talk via email and, and work out all the particulars and whatnot. This this weekend, actually, in Prairie Arts, I'll be setting up a booth, um, and I'll be taking commissions there as well. All righty. We had middays. It was just there gearing up for the Prairie Arts Festival there in West Point, which brings out a large crowd. Will you have I a know. specific booth anywhere, Bill? Like, where will you be in the festival? I will. I will. Um, I'm actually co-hosting a booth with my sister-in-law. And she'll be selling some of her sensory toys, and I'll be selling my books and a little bit of goblin merch and um, taking up pet portraits in Kidstown area of Prairie Arts. It's over there next to the library. Good deal. Well, Bill, I appreciate your time. I love Gibble. You'll have to let us know when your next book gets released. You're always welcome back. And thank you. Could I... If, if before we leave, could I make one one small shout out? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, the folks over at Coffee Pros, I'll be uh, working with them over there in. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> Welcome 
You can watch good things. We are on your computer, your mobile device. You can catch it on Roku, Amazon Fire TV devices. You can even find us on YouTube. You can find good things on C Spire TV. If you've got that, we're on Channel 70 right next to the Weather Channel, which will tell you it's still false fall here in Mississippi, but we're going to take it for a little while longer. Joining us now, though, is Kelly Martin-Rivers. She leads the STEM engagement work there at the Stennis Space Center, and they've got a new back-to-school web feature for teachers and parents and anyone who's looking to educate their kids about what's above. So welcome, Kelly. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I think this is a lot of fun. We've got a lot of families who may do homeschooling or just looking to supplement or as well as teachers sort of who listen to good things. And I think having or knowing the resources that are out there, particularly if they're Mississippi based, um, is good to know as well. So what do y'all have going on for back to school? Well, for back to school for the last two weeks, we've been running, uh, NASA as a whole, as an agency, has been running a back to school campaign with different um, offerings each day that have been posted to Facebook and posted to Instagram. Uh, and they are available in a collective at stem.nasa.com as well um, for educators, for uh, um, families, homeschool families, for students, uh, and for parents. Um, the collection uh, is a, a cross-section of a lot of the different activities that we've created or updated that deal with different NASA missions and different uh, student challenges that are coming up, as well as some really exciting uh, nat- natural phenomena that are coming up in the fall to get students ready for that. So when we think about STEM, it's it, to me it it kind of culminates a lot of the different subjects all in one. You got you know science, technology, engineering, math. If I got it right, there's probably also art. I think there's now STEAM uh, sometimes yep. gets sort of thrown around. So how is it for you working as uh, the lead there? How do you make sure all of those things are present in one of the worksheets or one of the I guess activities that families can do? Is it harder than it seems, or am I overthinking it? I don't think it's harder than it seems, uh, but it's def- definitely a collaborative effort between the education uh, and Office of STEM Engagement, as well as researchers, scientists, and uh, the other people in between that are interfacers uh, that connect us with what, is, what are the important things to cover uh, and how to cover them. As a former classroom teacher myself for 12 years, before I got into uh, STEM in an agency or larger space, um, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, everything that I was teaching in the classroom, but always struggled to find the right examples or more robust and rigorous examples or things that were particularly interesting to students that had a, had a focus that they wanted to, to do. So at NASA Stennis and at NASA in, uh, in total uh, for the agency, we have um, liaisons that work with the mission directorates, be it planetary science, earth science, uh, aerod- aeronautics, um, aerospace, uh, that really focus on what the missions are doing and bring us ideas as to uh, what we can try to cover with a varying level of varying levels of students. Uh, and then we work uh, with contract employees and within our, our own teams to develop activities that are connected to um, state standards, national standards, uh, and that are uh, fun, that are affordable, um, and that are easy to interject uh, and use within the classroom uh, along with what is required by classroom teachers uh, to meet their, their state or district requirements. 
So, so it's one of our things is uh, rock out on asteroids. Um, we've there have been some meteor and asteroid um, events that have happened, and we've been able to connect with those uh, along with the Osiris Rex mission on September 24th, uh, and uh, that's coming up in October 5th. Uh, NASA will launch Psyche mission to explore the nickel-iron ore in an early planet. Uh, and so we'll have student activities attached to that where students can look at images and data that's coming down and talk about what that is in their classrooms. So on both of those that you mentioned, will they have options for the different grade levels? Obviously, when you think about STEM, sometimes I think parents think, oh, that's just like for high school or maybe into college. It just gets too technical or too hard. But really the same sort of information can be taught on all different, uh, I guess, level grade levels, correct? Yes, absolutely. We focus on taking a topic and providing content and activities that are, um, that are geared toward specific grade levels and the, the standards that those grade levels have to meet so that we're helping parents as well as educators. An example of that are the upcoming eclipses. On October 14th, we'll have an annual, an annular solar eclipse. That's a Saturday, and there are lots of events that are happening around the state of Mississippi uh, to watch this annular uh, eclipse. We are not going to be in the path of totality, but we will be in a path of about 55 percent. Uh, so we're doing a lot of offering a lot of activities and doing a lot of online workshops to make sure that people can view the eclipse safely uh, and that they know what's happening. And then on April. Ace in the uh, springtime, uh, there'll be a, a much larger uh, push for a total solar eclipse, which will be the last one for 20 years that we'll be able to see in North America. And so uh, parents should be on, and educators should be on the lookout for events happening in their area to support that. We're currently working with uh, some school districts, uh, nonprofits, and museums to make sure that there are glasses available and safety guidelines available, as well as materials that explain what an eclipse is and what's the difference between an annular eclipse and a total eclipse. Kelly, you've got a lot of uh, parents, grandparents listening who maybe didn't grow up with the, in, with hearing the word STEM in their school. I mean, it's a new vocabulary word just for me, and I, you know, I could still consider myself kind of a younger um, mom. So, why is it important that parents at least learn a little bit more about it and encourage current kids, whether they're K through twelve, to sort of, you know, find their place in STEM or at least at least be exposed to it as much as possible? Yeah, for those that are not familiar with STEM, uh, the thinking may be that it's for people, uh, students who want to be engineers, and that's part of it, but it's not the whole, the totality of the, um, of the idea. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are, are components of everything that we do, and understanding how things work and how to work through a design process uh, and um, kind of collect information and process information so that it makes sense to you is all about what STEM uh, has to offer and and what each of those uh, areas teach uh, when you're studying STEM. And so it's really understanding your world. And it goes from everything from planetary science to climatology to just, you know, the and, and the earth science around us and, and for students and everyone, citizens, to ex, uh, explore and understand the world in their backyard as well as in outer space. 
I see here, too, on NASA.gov, when I click the link for the back to school, at the bottom it says pursue a NASA internship. I know the deadline's today for spring of 2024, but I'm thinking I see that in October and then January for later on, and obviously they'll keep going um, as as the school years go on. Who is the right fit for that? Is that for, like, a senior or is that a college student? Because I would have been all over that if I would have had the opportunity or (laughs) known about it as a student. Internships. Uh, are for high school seniors um, and current college and graduate students. Um, they can be anywhere in the country and, and come to Mississippi for an internship or intern at any, any of the other nine centers that make up uh, the NASA agency or any of our outlying centers. Uh, the applications for summer internships, which is usually our largest group of interns, will be uh, about in December so it's important for students to kind of get a, an idea of wanting to apply. Intern.nasa.gov is the location for that application process. And once you apply and get your portfolio in, it's very easy to apply for opportunities uh, throughout your college career. Uh, we do internships in the summer in the fall, and in the spring across the agency at all 10 centers and headquarters. Um, The other thing that I'd really like to mention is a unique opportunity. There was just a mission that flew moon tree seeds, five different varieties of seeds uh, into space, and they have come back. That payload has come back as an experiment, and right now the U.S. Department of Forestry, as well as some other tree farms, are nurturing those seedlings, and there's an opportunity for school districts, uh, for nonprofits, for museums and other educational and, non- and community agencies to apply to receive a moon tree seedling uh, and plant it, in their, uh, plant it in their own location and then continue to follow along with us because we have a series of activities uh, that are involved in citizen science and citizen observation, uh, and they can report back data that will be used by scientists to see how those seedlings have grown into young trees and and beyond um, and be a part of NASA science themselves. All of this information is available on stem.nasa.gov, as well as an application to sign up for the NASA Express newsletter that details these items and so many more things in a weekly newsletter uh, that is filled with all of the different science for education uh, and community service that um, NASA offers. Oh, my gosh. So much good information, Kelly. I appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Rebecca. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All righty. You guys stick with us. we got more for you coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget we are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Supertalk Mississippi app. 
You can always find us, too, on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. You can find Sports Talk Mississippi. They're coming up next live at College Corners, new location in Oxford, off of 6th Avenue in the Oxford Commons. You can get all of your game day gear for kickoff with great deals throughout the store. And that's the new home for your collegiate gear is College Corner. And we were just talking to our friends at NASA, and she was mentioning that you could have the opportunity to get a get – a, well, I guess did, – did she call it a moon tree? Because now I'm going to call it a moon tree because it yeah, moves – Tree seeds. Mood tree seeds, which I think is super cool. And it reminded me, for those of you that are really familiar with the Mississippi State uh, campus, you'll know they've got a moon tree and it's a sycamore. And it is part of the um, tour that you get when you go on a field trip or if you're coming there to sort of uh, meet um, or see if you're going to, to be there. I guess, too, if you're a freshman, you may get that same sort of field trip as a new student. Um, but the tree was grown from a seed that was one of many that Major Stuart Rosa took to the moon aboard the Apollo, oh gosh, 14? Mm, no, it wouldn't be 14. Minus, I can't, math is hard. Is what are the, the letters? <laughs> X, I, V. That's 14. That's 14, I got it right. I got it right. Oh, look at me go. Because X is 10. I knew that. And v I knew it's five, 5. If it's before, you subtract. And then you subtract. After you add. Look at me go. All right, cool. See, I, that that's me working the Super Bowl numbers every year trying to figure out which Super Bowl it is. <laughs> but it was in 1971, and the former U.S. Uh, Forest Service smoke jumper, he his effort was to honor the Forest Service, and it stands still today in living tribute. So I think it's really cool. I remember taking a picture of it on our, when Neely went uh, to tour the dairy farms, and the, from dairy farms to moon trees. I mean, everything and more you can find on the state there at Mississippi State. But if you haven't, I think that's cool. Mississippi also, actually has four moon, moon trees? trees. Where are the other three? You have a moon tree at Mississippi State in Starkville. You have one at the Forestry Commission Nursery in Waynesboro. You have one in Wiggins at Camp Itikana. And then Mississippi has the rare privilege of being one of only two states to have a moon tree at a private residence. There's a private residence Jealous. in Biloxi that has a moon tree. I want a moon tree. I want a moon tree. So. Got to talk to somebody at NASA. I mean, they, they, the vast majority of moon trees made their orbit around the moon, which is where they get the name moon tree. It's a seed that went to space, went around the moon, came back. The vast majority of those come from the Apollo missions, which is the very end of the 60s, into the 70s. But the Artemis missions that have gone back to the moon. I think Artemis 1 went to the moon last year. Mm-hmm. There were seeds on that that became moon seeds, and those are ones that are being planted nowadays. That's really cool. That's super cool. And now I have a new I – I want a moon seed, and then I don't want to kill it because I don't really do well with planting things and <laughs> keeping them alive. But I would like to think that I might could help. You know, uh, grow that. That'd be really neat. Speaking of the moon, did you get out and see the blue moon last night? I did. Which I was very bright. If you didn't get to see it, then you can check it out over on the Good Things Facebook group. I did not take a photo. Do not have that kind of. Look at it tonight. It won't be that much smaller. So, okay. So what makes it blue? Uh, You call a blue moon a blue moon because it is the second full moon in any given calendar month. 
And it's really neat because we we got peer pressured to get out of bed and go at family group text. My mother-in-law was like, did y'all see it? It was beautiful. I was like, Linda, I'm in bed. But OK, let me get up and like <laughs> the next one you won't see until 2034. OK, way to rub it in that I may not make it to the next one. I don't know. But when you go outside and looked at it, even you had to be standing in this perfect spot to check out the fact that it was to see the blue. Some of you really saw the blue. But regardless, you could really tell that there was a brighter ring around the full moon that's like normally not there, which I thought was really special. And and it was beautiful, um, beautiful anyway. Stephen Brookhaven, did you miss something moon tree? Yep, you missed something. It's just this really neat program. NASA sends uh, tree seeds into space. They make their mission. They come back. And since the speeds, the seeds have been there and back, they're called moon seeds or moon trees. And then they give them to different places, organizations or people and they get to plant them and see see if the changing of the atmospheres and all the if the traveling changes anything about the seeds so you become part of a research project. So there's one on Mississippi State's campus. So so it's not a tree that grows on the moon that then is here. But if there are trees growing on the moon, that would be breaking information. They'd probably have to be on the dark side of the moon because if they're on the side of the moon facing us, we probably would have seen it by now. How weird would it be to get out your telescopes and be like there's a forest on the moon some of us would want to go now and rehabilitate but i don't think it's the same i don't think it's the same all right stick with us we got more for you coming up next you got the boys on location there in oxford with sports talk mississippi from three to six rhino and i'll meet you back here tomorrow at two but until then i hope you all find time for the good things Talk Mississippi Media Production.